Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. If you would please follow in reading of the Holy Word of God. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, there is one Spirit, just as also you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Father, help us to hear this. Father, I pray for all that you have gathered here now. It's for such a time as this. So, Father, I pray that they will hear. Father, I know the work you've done in my heart with this. I pray for my brothers and my sisters that you will do the same in them. Father, as the Apostle Paul implored, as the Apostle Paul begged, I pray that our lives validate what we beg for. To you, my King, Christ's name, amen. Okay, we're moving into this. In verse 1, we've looked at that over the last few weeks, that Paul is imploring you and me. He's begging us to walk worthy. Now, those of you who have been with us know that we have gone through the first three chapters, and that shows us our position. It's doctrine. It's theology. Okay? Who is God? Okay? Then when I learn who is God, then all of a sudden I've got to back up and say, then this is who I am because of God. This is my position in Christ. When your theology will grow, your duty will flow. One of the things that I've watched in my times in the body of Christ is that everybody knows what they're supposed to do. But they have no idea of the resources that they have. And, and, and to me, that's, that's tragic. The call, therefore, that you see in chapter 4, verse 1, is that I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you were called. Okay? Now remember, he just came out of a prayer, right? 14 to 21. He prayed for us. Alright? And I told you that that's a henna purpose clause. The way that prayer is set up. Okay, you got to do the first one. Then the second one will happen. And then the third one will happen. And then the fourth one will happen. And then in verse 20, you will find that he will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you can think or imagine. But you can't do the best out of three. Or do the last three and forget about the first one. Okay, what was the first one? That you would be strengthened with power by the Holy Spirit in the inner man. Okay, that's how you have to start it. You have to start it with that one first. I have to be strengthened in the inner man by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? So I can walk in a manner 
worthy. Okay? The last three chapters of this book is what my position looks like. Alright? Husbands ought to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself. Alright? Well, if you don't know who you are in Christ, you can't do that. I don't care if it was Valentine's Day. Still can't do it. Wives are to submit to their own husband as unto the Lord. Ladies, love you. You can't do it. You can't do it on your own. Why? It's not in our nature. But if I go back and say, strengthen me in the inner man with the power of the Holy Spirit, then you know what's really weird about it? (laughs) I don't even have to think about it. It is natural to me. It is just what I do. The first three chapters are who we are as Christians. The last three chapters are what do Christians look like. But one of the things that I think that is troubling the church today is that we know what we're supposed to do and we're doing our best to do it and we're not paying attention to what we possess because we are Christians. Theologians call it doctrine and duty. That word that you see there in verse 1, worthy, in the original language, means to balance the scales. Balance the scales. Let my actions equalize my position. I claim to be a Christian. I hate to break the news to you. In this day and age, it shouldn't be that hard to spot. Equalize my position. What does my life look like? Okay, each of you needed to think about this. You go look in the mirror. What does my life look like? How do I walk worthy? Okay, that's verses 2 and 3. That's what we're moving into. Remember, you must be strengthened in the inner man. Okay. What does it say? In all humility. I call this message the lowly walk of a high position. All right? Humility. Hmm. If you look at the text, there's four basically what I would call characteristics. And then you put those four characteristics together and you will end up with the unity of the spirit. Okay. You can't put three out of four characteristics and have unity in the spirit. All right. This is what the worthy walk looks like. I guess if I was going to just lay it out, I would say this is the foundation for the Christian life. How, how do I walk? How do I do this? Now, I don't want you to forget. You got to go back to verse 16 of chapter 3. Strengthened with power of the Spirit in the inner man. Okay? When the inner man is strengthened, you will see humility. You will see gentleness. You will see patience. And you will see a long-suffering love. Okay, those four give you unity of the spirit. Listen, these are these characteristics are different from each other. 
And they do seem to be in a progression. Why? Because I'm being strengthened in the inner man by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, I've been around long enough, I've studied long enough, and I've read long enough, and I've existed long enough, is that where there is humility, there will be gentleness. There will be patience. There will be long-suffering love. And there will be unity. Now, I shared with you, I've, I've taught some leadership classes here before, and my definition of humility is this. Okay, now this is just a blanket definition. Okay? It's the absence of pride. Okay? You can't have a little pride and a little humility. It's the complete absence of pride. Alright? These are all tied together if you're really... Just common sense tells you this. But... When I look at this text and I think about the characteristics of a worthy walk, I believe that the key to it is humility. Is humility. Okay, I confess. Humility is a tad bit elusive. Okay? Now, you may not have struggled with it, but I've struggled with it. Okay? I know... A lot of believers want to talk about it. And it's just like I just gave you a definition. Humility is the absence of pride. All right. that's oh, Amen, brother. But what I've learned is, is that sometimes we just don't understand what humility is. Just what is it? And I, and, I, and I think about, now I have to use these on a personal level because it's that thing where you finally have gotten it and once you've gotten it, you just lost it. Okay? I remember a man telling me one time he was proud of his humility. And you're like, wow. Did you forget what pocket you put it in? As soon as you say, I am now humble, then you're not. It seems that when you don't know you've got it, is when you have it. Okay? And sometimes, we know we don't have it because we know we are proud. So see how it's uh, uh, the proverbial like nailing jello to the wall. It's a difficult reality, but it's necessity for a Christian. Here in this context, it is the heart of a worthy walk. Remember, that's that inner man. If we are going to walk worthy, humility must be real in our lives. Okay? It isn't manufactured. I don't go out and chase it. Today is Monday. I shall be humble. You don't do that. 
I guess I'd call it an attitude. It's an attitude. That attitude says, you know what? I'm owed nothing. I deserve nothing. And I expect nothing. That's the attitude that you see the Apostle Paul speak of in Philippians chapter 2. Beginning in verse 5. Have this, ah, look, attitude. In yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Verse 6. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In Matthew's gospel, chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus says, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Do you understand that that is the exalted Lord of the universe? We call him the King of Kings. We call him the Lord of Lords. You know what the Lord of Lords means in the original language? The ruler of rulers. That's what it means. King of Kings. I rule rulers. All of them. I remember when I was doing the letter of, to the Hebrews where it said that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. And I, and I, to this day, it just stuns me. He rules rest. If I'm not resting, then I know who's ruling. And it ain't him. He was born in a stable. When he was birthed and he wrapped him in clothes, they put him in a feed trough. Do you understand that the ruler of existence never had a place to lay his head? Did you know that he who owns all of it, who created all of it, never owned any property? Do you understand that the garments that he carried, he carried on his person? I remember years ago, I did a motorcycle ride with a bunch of veterans. I was gone for 18 days on a motorcycle. Went back to Washington, D.C. I took 18 days worth of clothes in a World War II Marine Corps pack. It's about like that. About like that. About that thick. For 18 days. And I thought, yeah, that's pretty good. 18 days on a motorcycle and I got all that in there. Then I thought, my Lord and Savior lived for three years with a bag smaller. He didn't have a motorcycle. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. The Mount of Olives was the closest thing to his house. And I like, kind of like the Mount of Olives. I've been there. It seemed to be his home, and what I liked about the Mount of Olives, that is where he could get into the quietness with his father. First John chapter 2, verse 16 said we should walk as he walked. 
How did he walk? In humility. In humility. Now, I don't know about you, and I may not be the sharpest crayon in the box. That whole mindset is completely foreign to our world. When you see the Apostle Peter say, Be holy, for your Father in heaven is holy. Do you really understand what that means? The word holy, I mean, if I take it back, it just means to be set apart. You know what that means? Different than the world. Set apart. The world does not accept humility. And I don't care where you look. There isn't a pulpit in this country right now that is immune from pride. Our world exalts pride. I was uh, trying as, you know, I've been studying this for a while. I don't hear humility in any society. And you guys know I love history. I can't find it throughout history. All of human nature through all time, through all history, looks down on humility. It is a weakness. As my uh, grandparents would say, it's milk toast. Never understood what that is, but it didn't sound like it was a positive. What is true humility? We like to talk about it. You can take just about any Christian and sit down and have a nice conversation about humility. But you know what I've also learned? I've told people this over and over again, and I mean it, but God has given me two eyes and two ears, one mouth. So what should I be doing twice as much of? But go sit and listen and see what you see and see what you hear. I mean, we got little stickers now. I am proud of my honor student. I haven't seen one that says, I'm proud that my son beat up your honor student. We're proud about everything. See, I never had one of those. That was never my forte. Honor students or beating them up. See, it's our society. And you know what I've learned in my 60 plus years? It's easy because it's our nature. Remember when the serpent told Eve to eat of the fruit, what would happen to her? If you eat of this, you will know as God knows. Guess what? You and I have been cursed with that. I know none of you have ever 
informed God on what he should be doing. But we are really smart, ain't we? I have had the privilege of meeting numerous people. I've mentioned it in Sunday school this morning. I have this bucket list thing of mine. Years and years and years ago, when I first moved to Colorado in the late 70s, I ran into a guy who was from Ohio originally, and that's where I was from. And he was with the Confederate Air Force. You're not allowed to say that anymore. Okay, they, it's Experimental Air Force or something now. Uh, but when I run into these guys, it was Confederate Air Force. And this guy's a pilot and had been a pilot in Korea. And uh, he gets to fly all of these World War II vintage airplanes. And some World War I vintage airplanes. He crashed one up in Broomfield. But anyway, he has allowed me, and by the grace of God, I have got to fly into some awesome aircraft. I got to fly in the... B-25 Mitchell bomber. I've flown in the B-24 Liberator. I've flown in the B-17. I'm trying to get into a B-29, but I can't get them to get south of Boise. And uh, I haven't convinced my wife that, hey, I'm going to be gone for 48 hours so I can fly in a World War II airplane. Anyway, I remember, it's been a couple of years ago, there was a B-17 up here at uh, Centennial. And Bob was in town, and he said, Terry, he says, man, I got a B-17 in here. You want to go take her for a ride? I said, yeah, what time? Tell me. Tell me what time. And so I showed up to take off on it. And I come around the corner, and here was this guy. He wasn't about that tall. And, I mean, he had good posture and everything, but he had his World War II aviator's um, suit on. And I'm just sitting there, and the guy's probably close to 90. Got this big Cheshire grin on his face. And I was just like, wow, man. And he and I said, uh, I bet you flew in one of those. He says, you see that thing on the bottom? I said, the ball turret? He says, yep. He says, when you're my height, that's where you get to live. And I was like, wow. But I mean, just one of the most gracious people you've ever seen. And he's sitting there and he said, yeah. He said, uh, we were flying somewhere over Germany. He says, it's toward the end of the wars in 43 or something like that, 44. And he said, we were flying over there. And he says, I spun around. He said, I seen this 109 coming right at me. He says, you know, them things got a cannon in the nose of them. And he said, he was shooting right at me. He says, I let her fly. And he said, he hit my ball turret with that cannon. And he says, it's all plastic. It just exploded and disappeared. And he says, in a ball turret, you don't wear a parachute. You can't wear a parachute. And he says, you're supposed to have the safety strap so if it happens that you just dangle in the bottom of it. He says, I didn't put my strap on. And I was like, really? And he, he just sat there and he goes, yeah. He says, next thing I know, I says, I'm just falling through space. He says, I turned around. I looked over here on this side. He says, right there was my parachute. He says, I reached out, pulled over, pulled. He says, I went to prison camp. He says, but I didn't bounce off the earth. He says, and you know what, young man? I've believed in God ever since. And I said, well, he do have a way of getting your undivided attention, doesn't he? Absolutely humble. And here I was looking at this guy and I'm thinking, because I flew in this thing and they say it's the greatest generation. I looked at this thing and thought, why in the world? Because I was only flying about 10,000 feet. It's not pressurized. These guys are flying at 30, 
30,000 feet, the ambient air temperature is minus 20. Okay? And you have to wear oxygen. And then you've got a whole bunch of crazy people trying to shoot you. And yet they all just smile at you like, just another day in the day. That's humility. That's humility. You can't, you can't shake that. You just sit there and you go, wow, man. Because I was in the plane, had these wires in the roof of it. And you could sit there and watch them and they'd be moving. I was like, what the heck are those? And so I was getting ready because you're, you're kind of doing this the whole time you're in it. And you're walking around in this thing. And I was going to get a hold of that. And he says, those are control surfaces. Don't touch those. I was like, what? And he said, well, we could either go over left, over right, down, up. Could it be? And I was like, I won't touch them. Okay, but it's just got aluminum on the side of it. And they had put some steel plates by the waste gunners. That's where I kind of started at, at the waste gunner. And it's probably three-eighths inch thick. And I thought, all that is is shrapnel. If a bullet hits that, you just get spalling everywhere. And yet this guy just smiled and said, it's a good time. I was like, yeah, yeah, somebody shoot me out of an airplane. I'd be tickled to death. But his humility was, you know what? I was falling toward earth and God says, hey, look, parachute. You should probably take that with you. But it is our nature to be prideful. Listen, our society is proud. Look, we got what, Grammys and Oscars and who knows whatever. But you know what? The church ain't immune to it. Christianity ain't immune. To it. What's the Dove Awards? What is that? I remember a pastor one time out in California, I was at a conference, and he said a guy came up to him and said, God gave him a song. And he looked at him and said, Well, God didn't want it anymore? <laughs> See what I'm trying to get at? It's in our nature. It is part of the curse. And tragically, at least in this country, Christianity has found a way to boast legitimately. You don't think so? Really? I don't know a pastor in town besides me who hasn't written a book and wants to tell me about it. And of course, they want to give them to me. I don't want to read your book. Why? I haven't gotten through God's yet. When I get God's done, then I'll come get yours. Well, have you ever thought about writing a book? I said, yeah, I was going to do a coloring book. Why? Why is it the big thing to write a book? God gave me 66. They seem pretty sufficient to me. Our society exalts itself. And yet God has called us to humility. And our world throws pride at us and never, ever, ever stops. Do you know what the first sin was? Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28 tells you about it. A creature known as Lucifer. In one text, five times he says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. You know what God said? No, you won't. And he kicked him out. 
They kicked him out. That was the first sin. So he landed down here on earth, and what did he do? Eve, if you eat of this, you will what? Know as God knows. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the lowly comes true wisdom. Proverbs 16, verse 5. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Proverbs 21, verse 4. A high look, a proud heart is a sin. That one there is kind of strange because that's inner and outer. I remember a guy one time, uh, we had a gentleman who attended our church who was a survivor of Bataan. And uh, he's a character. He's a character. And I remember we were sitting in the little cove way waiting for church to start. And he was sitting there. And we, I just had a wonderful relation with Henry. He's, uh, he's in glory now. And this young man came through and walked through. And Henry just smiled at him as he goes by. And he looks over at me and goes, what a peacock. <laughs> and I knew that it was not a term of endearment. <laughs> and I... I just said, well, you know what, Henry, what you've been through, cut it straight, brother. <laughs> Listen, if you go biblically, you'll realize that humility is always the characteristic of the righteous. Pride is always the state of unrighteousness. And you know what, brothers and sisters, it should grieve any one of us who knows Jesus Christ. And don't try to say, well, you know, I don't think such and such is humble. I know such and such. No, man, go look in the mirror. So many who exercise pride and they're not even aware of it. But you know what? If you use your two eyes and your two ears and shut up, am I allowed to say that? I just did. You'll realize that it's a lot more prevalent than what you think it is. Because you know what? To overcome pride is a battle every day. It's a battle every day. Let me give you God's perspective on pride. All right? Isaiah chapter 2. Verse 10. Enter under the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of His majesty. Listen, when you start comparing yourself to God, that's pride. Your best bet is to get under a rock. Or become a worm and get in the dirt. Verse 11. The proud look of a man will be abased and the loftiness of man will be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. 
See, when we say that pride is a sin, I want you to understand it in God's perspective. When you are boasting, when you are prideful, do you understand that you are competing with God? There's a news a radio guy, personality that's on, and uh, he drives my wife nuts. And, and, I, and I finally got her to sit. Okay, now listen to what is being said. But he has this phrase, and it just, oh, my wife wants to throw something at the radio. Talent on loan from God. Okay? And my wife goes, I can't believe he's saying that. Why not? Where'd you get your talent? Now, he's an arrogant guy. I don't, he's an arrogant moralist. I don't care. But if you're really honest with it, if you have a talent, I don't care what it is. See, my problem is I never got in a talent line. Okay? Uh, so I don't really worry about that. But when I see people who are talented, I know where they got their talent. God gave it to them. But I've seen people with talent. Decide they're so good that they're going to compete with God. And I'm like, oh, gee whiz. You know, I like good blues guitars. I wonder how good God is with a blues guitar. You ever ever thought about that? I I think that's heresy, probably. (laughs) See, pride lifts up. Okay? And it tries to steal God of His glory. And you know what? My Bible is adamant that he gives his glory to no one. He says, you will be bowed down and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. God alone is worthy of exaltation. God alone is worthy of exaltation. Please do not forget that. Nothing that we have ever done, nothing that we will ever do is worthy of the Lord. And yet, on Judgment Day, we will receive crowns that we did in His power, through His ability, through His walk. And our first response with those crowns is what? Give them back to Him. Give them back to Him. Verse 12, For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against anyone who is proud and lofty and against anyone who is lifted up that he may be abased. I don't know about you, that should scare the GBZs out of people. You know what that means? He's going to judge pride. Listen, Isaiah is confronting a nation where the people had begun parading themselves. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? It sounds like our society. It sounds like our churches. It's easy to get caught up in it. We want the best. We exercise our pride. And there is a reason. When we exercise our pride, not only are we competing with God, but we are also showing other people that we are better than them. Listen, 
Every one of us in this room, we have needs. But I think that the battle that you and I struggle with is what is the line between what we need and what we want? Right? You know, when I, I remember when you had to get up off the couch and go over and change the station on the TV. Okay, now we got TVs, and the way my eyes are getting, I'm going to go back to drive-ins. Because I need something that big. I remember going over to my uncle, my uncle's, my mom's side of the family, everybody's hard of hearing. And I went over to my uncle's, he's got a TV, it's about the size of that wall. And I thought, wow, that's like a big TV. And you could see it, I mean, you could see it, I, I could probably go two houses down and see it. But he had these headphones on that he would, that magnified or something. And he just sat there, just grin on his face, sitting in his chair, just grinning, looking at that thing. And you say, hey, Jim, he just, I was like, the dude's in his own world. But I realized you, know, you don't have them headphones to just sit and talk to people because you can't hear it. And my mom said, well, you know, that's in. My side of the bloodline. I said, what? (laughs) (laughs) We have to think hard because there's things that we do by nature that are for self-exaltation. Think about it. We've got a whole industry that is in what you need. They call it advertising. It's not a goal we strive for, but yet we look for self. We look for our own comforts. We get to where we can despise those people who are below us, and we despise those people who are above us. And where are you going to get gentleness in that attitude? Go over to Isaiah chapter 3, verse 16. And following, moreover, the Lord said, because the daughters of Zion are proud and they walk with their heads held high. That's not because they have good posture. Okay, they walk with their heads held high and seductive eyes. It literally means painted eyes. All right. Now, ladies, I don't want to make you mad again, but I told you that the word that we get cosmetics from is cos. Cosmos, okay, and cosmos means order out of disorder. Okay, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, and there are times that I'm very thankful for cosmetics. Okay, but there are those who will wear cosmetics to bring attention to themselves. You don't believe me? Ever been in a wedding? What does the bride do? Just a, just an idea. Somebody's going to start throwing things at me. <laughs> Are you saying, yeah, the women want to be the center of attention at the wedding. Christ should be the center of attention at the wedding. He's the one who invented the thing. Hey. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? But he says it here. The people of Israel, the women, the daughters... They walk with their heads held high, seductive eyes, painted eyes, and they go on with mincing steps. That's sort of like weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. 
I walk in such a way to bring attention to me. I'm not going to go any more detail on that. And if that ain't enough for you to look at, then they tinkle the bangles on their feet. They put bells on their feet, so now you can have to look at them and hear them. Therefore, the Lord will afflict the scalp of the daughters of Zion with scabs, and the Lord will make their foreheads bare. Now we've gotten back to, ooh. In that day, the Lord will make the beauty of their anklets and headbands and crescent ornaments, dangling earrings, bracelets, veils, headdresses, ankle chains, sashes, perfume boxes, amulets, finger rings, nose rings, festival robes, outer tunics, cloaks, money purses, hand mirrors, undergarments, turbans, veils. Now they all come instead of sweet perfume. It will become what? Putrefaction. Or have you ever smelled rotten meat? You know, I'm not... Do you think maybe he has something against pride? Do you think he has something against people who want to parade and look at me? Verse 24. Sweet perfume will be perfect. Putrefaction. Instead of a belt, a rope. Instead of well-set hair, a plucked-out scalp. Instead of fine clothes, a donning sackcloth and branding instead of beauty, and your men will fall by the sword. Listen, it's still a picture of an attitude. It's still a picture of an attitude. It's that, look at me. Jeremiah chapter 50, 31 and 32 Behold, I am against you, O arrogant one, declares the Lord God of hosts. For your day has come, the time when I will punish you. The arrogant one will stumble and fall, and no one to raise him up. I will set fire to his cities and devour all of his environs. Okay? Now remember... He's not talking about Babylon. He's not talking about the Persians. Who's he talking about? Israel, his chosen people. Last book of the Old Testament. After Malachi, there's 400 years of silence from God. Chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace. And all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. All right? Do you see a pattern? We like to boast about it. We like to bring attention to ourselves. I don't care who you are. You, you still fight it. Okay, now then, you may ask, why am I giving you this information? And I will close with this text. 
Some of you who have been with us for a while know this text. We have studied it in the past. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under a cloud and all passed through the same through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate of the same spiritual fruit. And they all drank of the same spiritual rock. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. And the rock was Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. They were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us. So that we do not crave evil things. As they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. It is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let them act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us say the Lord has some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened. To them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon the ends of the ages to come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. I give you all of this because I wanted you to see God's perspective. On pride. Okay? And I chose to use the Old Testament to show it because of the text out of 1 Corinthians. Here we are. Look around. How many of us are parading? How many are exalting themselves? And listen, I'm not, I don't talk about, I'm not worried about the politicians. I'm talking about the body of Christ. How many of us Put our focus on us and our church. Listen, go ask a church. And in the time that I have been the pastor of this church, if you go back 25 years ago, if you ask somebody who came out of church, do you worship today? If they said yes, well, how do you know you worshiped? You know what they had to say to you? The word of God was exalted. Go ask them today. You ask somebody who comes out of church today, did you worship today? Ask them how they know. You know what they're going to tell you? The music was awesome. Doesn't fit Romans 12. Present yourself as a living sacrifice. Holy and pure. This is your act of spiritual worship. So we were given Israel as an example. I'm not sure that we're heeding the example. But we will press on to help a calling of Christ. And in case you were guessing, we should do that in humility. Let's pray. Father, I come before you. Lord, we don't have anything that you didn't give us. 
We don't even have a talent. We don't have an attitude. We don't have an ability that you didn't give us. So, Father, I ask that you protect us. Pride is such a seductive thing. It sneaks up when we're expecting it. It sneaks up when we're not expecting it. And yet, Father, I know that Calvary overcame that. So I pray for my brothers and sisters. We bow our knee before you in absolute humility. And even as the saints have said in the past, here I am, send me. And it doesn't matter where. Help us, Lord. Help us to walk victorious, worthy of our calling in the power of your spirit strengthening each of us in the inner man. To you, my Lord. Amen.